Hey, again, <laughs> if you have your Bibles, if you turn to Luke chapter 5, we'll get there in just a moment. I think uh, all of us are aware, uh, or at least have images, of people that are carrying others and stretchers. Uh, we've seen uh, either uh, kind of documentaries or, or just uh, happenings that happen all the time with, with hurricanes and terrible weather or war situations where, where people are carried out uh, on stretchers and maybe rushed to um, an emergency room or a hospital. We, we uh, can imagine or envision and maybe it has been ourselves uh, as, as parents, as father or mothers or, or grandparents carrying their, their sick child uh, to uh, a place where they could find healing in some way or another, hospital or, or a doctor or other places. We, we've used words like Paul bearers at the funeral. We are keenly aware of that term that you carry others. Uh, we might even uh, say it like this. The reality of whatever image come to mind when you hear that term uh, has all of them has this in common or have this in common. They, have, they all express the reality that unless someone carries, no one gets carried. That's true even if we think of that term in, in somewhat metaphorical ways and and we say of a person that, uh, that uh, he or she carries himself well, or uh, George and Jill really carried that whole situation, or a person bears uh, their burdens with a smile, or however we say that. We know that even in churches, sometimes we'll have to admit that there are just a few people that carry the whole thing. And still it's true that no one gets carried unless someone carries, yes? And that's the situation also here. And I want you to see, it's an English thing, but it still works, at least in English, right? That to care and to carry are two words that are tightly close, yes? To care and to carry are two sides, if you will, of the same coin. So we have a story that is well known to all of us. It may be one of the most preached passages that we have even at all. Many of you have heard it several times. Uh, you have an, an automatic image coming up to your mind. If you've been in church very long, uh, this has been what you've seen on Sunday school posters. Every children's Bible will have this. Uh, every Bible with a picture on it because this is a picturesque event. That there are four persons that are carrying their friend to a roof and lower that friend down before Jesus. Yes? Now, you do this and you have that image in your mind. Yes? Just try it out. I know it, right? Because that's just how it often works. And if you have not, if you're a brand new Christian and have not uh, known scripture before, that will still pretty quickly become an image, even when you just read the text. So here it goes. One of those days, while he was teaching, the Pharisees and the teachers of the law were sitting uh, there who had come from every village of Galilee and Judea and also from Jerusalem. And the Lord's power to heal was in him. 
Just then, some men came carrying on a stretcher a man who was paralyzed. They tried to bring him in uh, and set him down before him. But since they could not find a way to bring him in because of the crowd, they went up to the roof and lowered him on the stretcher through the roof tiles into the middle of the crowd before Jesus. Seeing their faith, he said, friend, your sins are forgiven. Then the scribes and the Pharisees began to think to themselves, who is this man who speaks blasphemy? Who can forgive sins but God alone? But perceiving their thoughts, Jesus replied to them, Why are you thinking this in your heart? Which is easier to say your sins are forgiven or to say get up and walk? But so that you may know that the Son of Man has authority on earth to forgive sins, he told the paralyzed man, I tell you, get up, take a stretcher, and go home. Immediately he got up before them, picked up what, had, what he had been lying on, and went home glorifying God. Then everyone was astounded, and they were given glory to God. And they were filled with awe and said, We have seen incredible things today. This is one of these texts. And so I want to speak to us all today, if I can, very practically about this text. Not trying to give a theological exposition on the power and the necessity of of forgiveness, but simply look at this practically about what can we learn in this text about life together. And here are some of the things that come to to fore very quickly when you're looking at it, right? The people who care, they understand the necessity of togetherness. We get that people who care really understand the importance of togetherness or of living life together, if you will. Community is not just about enjoying not being alone. It's about bringing others into this community and see them as a part. I may say like this, a spiritual formation in the true sense of that word is community formation. Life together looks different when we see it here. And that's what this text is all about. The first thing you notice here is that, that the man was carried to Jesus by a group of people. Their ministry was done together. Now, I do recognize that there are some times that a person comes to Christ through the testimony of one other person, just like when the Bible says that, that the disciple Andrew found his brother Jesus, found his brother Simon and brought him to Jesus. That happens. And I wish it would happen far more often than I have noticed that it happens in this church. That there are people who give a personal testimony and have a personal conversation in such a way 
that it leads another person to faith in Christ and to that experience of, of recognizing the liberating and life-giving grace of our Lord and Savior. But that's where we are, friends. So look at this. Look at this. By far, the most common thing when people find Christ is that they have met a number of people who together were able to bring the testimony in such a way that they come to faith. That life-giving relationship to Jesus. Life and witness of a group of people at different times, in different ways, with different kinds of levels of impact, if you will. But they minister, they minister together. And I want us to see that and dwell on that a little bit uh, this morning. You know, when you think about this text, just look at it. The, the paralyzed man could not have been carried by one other. It would have required at least two, but two would have had a hard time bringing him up to the roof or, or lowering him down. And if there had been three trying to lower him down, that that whole stretcher would have tilted. It took four to do so. It was when the fourth person grabbed the hold of the rope that they were able to lower the person down before Christ. So let me think about this with you. When you think through that in your own life, when you're sitting at home maybe thinking, what about my rope? These were not about people doing things independently that, well, I've done my part. I don't have to do it. I did my part to see other people need to do their part. That was never the issue. Imagine if that had happened with the four. It took four for them to lower him safely down before Jesus. That togetherness made that possible. And, and just, just think about this. The power of that scripture and the image that comes up. There may be someone that you have prayed for for years, maybe decades alone. Who does not have someone in their family who does not know the liberating power of Jesus Christ, saving grace of God? And you carried that alone. Who, who, who does not have someone or parents, if you one of your children decide, I don't want to have anything to do with calling Jesus Lord or living uh, in his presence? Think about this. Just for a moment. Where do you go? Who do you add, lean on? Who do you ask to come into your circle and ask for support in prayer and in other ways? I mentioned before, I want to say it again, every one of us have a place to live as far as I know. If you don't, let me know about it. And, and you know, we have these beautiful homes and we sit there alone, not inviting friends and neighbors over for prayer and support and, and help. Why not? Did you think God gave us all this so that we could not use it for his kingdom? Think about it. The power of what's going on right here. When they stood shoulder to shoulder, 
one rope in their hand each, they were able to change everything. That is true. Also, with ministries that we're doing together as a church, lead people to Christ. Think of it this way. From the earliest time and someone comes getting carried into the nursery and kind voices are surrounding them, warm arms are, sur- are surrounding them and they're growing up and, and they come running up and down the aisles in the worship center and, and, and you know, someone 10 times their age will speak a warm word and take them on their lap and say, so good to see you at church today and, and all of this place together and they enter the youth group and, and they hear warm words and have good friends and, and it starts to grow and, and in that youth group we have people of all ages coming in to help say I too can mentor some of these some of these teenagers and some of these kids and, and they grow up and, and they get older and then, then they, they marry and, and they find others and they have kids and, and families come together see what is going on with this shoulder to shoulder sometimes we feel that it'd be difficult to do things alone there might be people that you have tried to talk to but you need someone else to talk to them that can speak with greater conviction than, than, than you can. Sometimes you may have to bring them to someone who can speak with a stronger voice of, of encouragement or a stronger ver- voice of, of teaching that can say things and answer questions that may be difficult for you to, to answer. One person and another person and the four of you, if you will stay in this picture, Together, as one steps up and speaks with greater empathy and, and greater love, all of you together as a tool in God's hand, so that God, by the power of His Spirit, may be able to change what is paralyzed into something that is truly alive. Friends, are we hearing this? It's just hip, just practical stuff from this scripture. If, can I put it in, in biblical terms maybe or, or at least cast it in a, in a biblical framework, if you will? It happens that there are people who have heard the clear teaching of Paul and although it has enlightened their intellect, it has not convicted their soul. They may have heard the warm and eloquent exposition that that fled from the lips of Apollos and and may have have warmed their soul, but they did not really humble their pride. And then they listened to the raw and unrefined words of the apostle Peter, and that kind of brought them to their knees. And then... When finally the loving, empathetic word came from the apostle of John, they saw how it all came together. It was when the fourth person, friend, grabbed a hold of that rope that they were able to bring someone to Christ. Are we getting this? Don't let go of the rope that you have been handed. Just don't. 
God gave every one of us a rope to hold. And some of you may be sitting at home thinking, I wonder about, oh, I let go of my rope. Come on back. We'll give you that rope back. Every one of us got a rope to hold. Imagine this. I was thinking, I was praying, I was just pleading with God as I was looking through and thinking through this text for this morning. And think, Imagine if we in this place at the First Baptist Church of Louisville could find group upon group upon group upon group upon group of men and women, young and old, new Christian, long-time Christian, people coming together to pray and stand shoulder to shoulder in earnest desire to see new people come to Christ. Think about this. That they will come together to pray for one another in their homes, in the building, every place around And say, how can we specifically, who is it that God has asked us to carry to Christ? Specific, focused, and all that. So that we may be like these four. Imagine if that was the case. Imagine if it was not us that Jesus was talking about when he says, the workers are few. I want you to notice notice something about these these four caring or carrying friends. I don't know which is the better word. But here they are. What can we learn about people like that? Christians like that. Life together, want to help my friends kind of folk like that. Well, the first thing you notice is that these, these people in God's kingdom must be, be strong. They must be vigilant because they need to bring their whole strength, everything they have, because the task may be difficult. And they need to have persistence to stay until the goal has been reached. These caring friends had to be strong also because, you know, the burden can be heavy. They need to be full of courage because the very act of caring may test their own faith. They must be full of prayer because without it, it's impossible to please God. And our work will be in vain. As scripture says, Jesus saw their faith and he accepted their ministry. It's a pretty powerful statement when you look at it. Practical, straightforward. And as we move on with this text, you will see even more that these caring friends understand the need for vision. They understand the need for planning. So much is going on here. These four stood here with the situation. They found themselves at a point where something needed to be done. They carried their friend to the house. 
but they couldn't go in. What were they to do? If they had left him there and walked home, it may have been better for them never to carry him around in the first place. Are we hearing this? Of course, they would have, you know, felt good about it and said, well, we did what we could. Not our fault the house was full. So they could feel good about themselves, but nothing would have happened. He would still, for the rest of his life, been on the stretcher. So they had to figure something out. There's a good chance, I think, that they might have thought about this, talked about it. Before they left home, before they start carrying him around, someone would have said, what do we do? If when we get to the house, there are so many people there that we can't get in. What are we going to do? And someone say, well, maybe if we just stand out there and shout loud enough and, and call on Jesus. You've got to come out here. Interrupt when you come out here. It's more important. Someone said, no, that's not going to work. Someone suggests, can we just mosey on our way in there and kind of get all the way to Jesus and just say to him, you know, forget this, come out with us. And someone else said, no, that's not going to work. And someone says, what if we crawl up on the roof? Take the tiles away and lower them down right in front of Jesus. And they were thinking for a moment. And someone said, I'm going to get the ladder. And someone else is going, I'll get the rope. Third guy is going, I'll get a few tools so we can break it apart. And they're there. And they get there. And, and that's what happens. They, they couldn't just get there and leave him there. You see the situation. These four had to clarify to themselves what's going on. What would they do? How could they make sure that their errand, their purpose of bringing him to Jesus would be successful? There would have been no, nothing gained other than maybe their own self-feeling that they just taken him there and left him outside the door, hoped that Jesus would do something about it. No, they said, how are we going to do this? I hope we're listening, friends. This text speaks with such power on the practical level. And so we know the story. It's about togetherness. If we have learned anything at all from COVID, we have learned that isolation, either being alone or being alone with the family, has created nothing but a wreck of society. We have more mental illness than we have had. We have more everything bad that we have known for so long. We need to rediscover that the four of them got together and said, what are we going to do? And creativity began to creep up. That was it. There's an urgency that calls for community. If that was ever the case, that is here, that is now. That is here and that is now. Post-COVID, there should be one focus of all things, and that is that we learn to live life together. Think about this. The creativity that came with this. There's no kind of 
YouTube video on how to break the roof apart so that you can lower your friend down in front of Jesus. There were none of that. It was unheard of, but, but that's how it has to be. They were asking themselves this question. What are we doing here, and how do we have anything that is in the way of this happening? If there's something in the way, that needs to be removed. We can't have things being in the way of bringing other people to Jesus. And so, they rethought how to do this. Creativity, new ways of thinking about the same thing came up. How, how, how should we do this? Who would have ever thought of breaking down the roof? I, I know there are some of you that are sitting here who are probably a little bit upset on behalf of the landlords whose roof got, got torn down, yes? I know people like that. You know, Jesus should have told them, you know, don't do this. Get him back up, fix the roof, and I'll look at him later. But that's never the case with Jesus. That is never the case with Jesus. Think about it. If we could be so filled with a renewed and even a holy longing to see people come to Jesus in such a way that everything changes. What would that do to your daily life, to your prayer life? your effort to speak to people and to care for people. Think about it. So that's what brings us here. People come together for that purpose. And so what will happen? Jesus will heal. That's what happens here. That's the incredible promise of the gospel. That everything that is paralyzed will come to life when they come in contact with the living Savior. That's it. You bring things to Jesus, and it would be unthinkable. Can any of you imagine even that, that as he was coming down, and as Jesus saw their faith, that he would say, no, 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 I'm not going to do it. you got to wait. I'm in the middle of my sermon. Oh, I'm in it. No. Anyone and all people that we bring to Christ, he will receive them, yes? He is, this is the promise. He will always, always forgive sins. Always heal our sin. And he will very often heal our whole person. That's the promise. This is what we see. And I wonder if we sometimes forget that. I had to wonder that myself at times. Have I forgotten who Jesus is? That majestic promise of the scripture that he will always heal sin. And very often, maybe even most often, heal the whole person even then and there. The greatest thing as we see from this text, is the forgiveness of sin. Why is that? Because sin separates us from God. Sin destroys community. It destroys our fellowship with God. And it destroys our fellowship with one another. That is the core of separation. Think about it here with this, that Jesus takes a hold of who he is. 
And it changes everything. Like Jesus always takes a hold of the real root of any issue. And that changes us. Life together is the opposite of living where we've been separated. Sin separates us from God and from one another. So, it will result when we do this in forgiveness. And then I can't help but to end it like this. When you look at these last verses, you see that when this happens, what happens? What happens? People begin to glorify God. That is exactly what happened. That becomes the focus, which was the focus in the first place, but that is the focus here. Now they glorified God and they stood back in awe. How long has it been since we stood back in awe? Because we looked for God's hand, we saw God's hand, and we got to go, oh, my Lord and my God. That's right here. These things, friends, run in concentric circles. I'm going to end with this. Imagine the paralyzed man himself. Every muscle, every fiber, every sinew, everything must have tingled in his body as new power just filled his body up with this. And then imagine how, how that went when, when he was coming home. There's a good chance, why not, that he had a family. And, and here's a family that may have been burdened down by caretaking, struggle with holding on to this. Where do they find the money and the time and the effort and the energy to continue to care for this person? And here dad comes home with a stretcher on his arm. How would they ever stop praising God? And then there's the friends of the household and those who lived around, the neighbors, were looking at, at Mr. George or whatever and say, Oh, wow, God must have done something incredible. And, and think about those in the synagogue or the church, if you want to call it that. How could they ever stop praising God? Woo. And so what's the last word? The last word. We have seen incredible things today. If I have one prayer, friends, it is that every Sunday morning when I stand here to give the benediction, I want to be able to say, we have seen incredible things today. Father, I ask that that would be the reality of this place. That we can't be who we are. We can't be just alone. We have to get a hold of our rope. We have to find these others that would hold the other ropes with us. Sometimes for us. May you give us the grace to speak with such power into our heart that everything changes. Let us stand, friends. And Lord, I ask as we do that you will speak.
power. Not just to all of us, but to each of us. Some will come. Say, I need you, Lord. Oh, I need you. Some will walk to someone else. Grab their hand and say, I need to pray with you. Someone will say, would you come to my house to pray? That we together would be concrete and specific about sharing our life for the sake of the gospel and for the sake of those around us. Some will come and say, I need to be part of a fellowship that deeply, deeply cares. Hear our heart cry, O Lord. And the invitation that goes out, even to those who say, I want that. But I'm the one who needs to be carried to Jesus. He is here and will never reject. Amen and amen.